1: Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher.
2: Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. And today we are going to talk about silent movie star and I guess comic, Fatty Arbuckle, who I think has largely been forgotten today. The first time I heard about him was in the book Hollywood Babylon. And that was pretty much focused on his um, downfall. So in my opinion, and I think most people who probably know him from that book, He's a rapist and a murderer. <laughs> From 1914 to 1921, Fatty Arbuckle was one of the biggest stars in the world. In fact, he was one of the first bona fide movie stars. Up until that point, up until he came around in like 1914, studios actually did everything they could to, to make the actors and performers in their movies anonymous, so to sort of keep them out of power. But audiences quickly started giving them kind of nicknames like the girl with curls and, and things like that. So I think about 1912, so slightly before he came around, actors started becoming more well known. And with that, the voracious appetite for any and all kind of information about their lives also became something that fans craved. So that's sort of around the same time that the gossipy tabloid industry rose to feed that appetite. So the irony is that the stardom that Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle obtained is eventually what led to his truly like OJ level <laughs> fall Down from grace fall. yeah it's a pretty bad <laughs> fall from grace okay so let's just i'm going to give a little bit of his early life so we can kind of see where he came from so fatty arbuckle was born fat basically he weighed 13 pounds Jesus at birth Christ. which is a massive fucking <laughs> baby rest <laughs> in peace mrs <laughs> arbuckle's pussy yeah and he his dad is very skinny so he immediately questions the paternity of the baby. Based you give purely birth <laughs> to this fat kid. This is yeah. not mine. Uh, and he actually named him after his least favorite politician, Republican Roscoe Conkling. Like, So this is the level of petty dick his dad was. Wow. And th- and then, you know, to make matters worse, his dad beat him throughout his life because he thought he was an illegitimate child, which makes no sense. I mean, I'm not saying he should have beat the wife, but <laughs> if you think the w- was the one the kid didn't do anything regardless and neither did the mom but the mom was very supportive of her son but she uh had nine babies including a huge fat one dude again rest (laughs) in peace and she suffered health issues because of that uh she eventually died when fatty was 12 and um And and most of the research I saw, it was she died when he was 12 and 180 pounds. I was just like, really? Uh,
1: So they're going to fat shame him? (laughs) They're
2: fat shaming him from a very young age. And so he at that point was basically an orphan because his dad was uh, nothing to do with him. So one thing that Fatty did have was that he had a beautiful singing voice. In fact, it was so beautiful that a famous opera singer at the time, Enrico Caruso, once heard him sing and urged him to give up this nonsense, meaning comedy, Uh, you do for a living with training you could become the second greatest singer in the world which is like a nice sort of subtle shade because obviously he's the first greatest singer Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's the shade that I sort of really fucking love in addition to the beautiful voice as mentioned before he had a really graceful way about him despite his size I always think about like comparing him to like the ballet dancing hippos in Fantasia right like that sort of like like wow (laughs) This they're juxtaposition very position, Yeah, they're very f- graceful, right. despite their like massive thing on their tiptoes. And then he has like a sort of Hollywood lorry thing about how he got in into the business or his sort of big break. He was um, auditioning for a vaudeville review, and they literally had the thing, like the hook that would come and pull people off the stage when the audience didn't respond to them or they were booing or whatever. So he was on stage doing whatever, uh, some kind of Pratt Folly you know, slapstick comedy thing. And he was bombing. Um, when he saw the hook come at him, he, instead of getting pulled off, which I love to think of how big that hook would have had to <laughs> be to get around the spelling. Like we got to use the I mean, the I'm messing It's hook. like, yeah, get, the, get out the big one. We need a bigger hook. Uh, <laughs> we're going to need a bigger hook. That's my lame Jaws joke. He somersaulted into the orchestra pit, and voila, a star was born. The audience ate it up. No pun intended or whatever. Uh, <laughs> this whole episode's going to be all fat jokes, by yeah. the way. Uh, unintentionally. Sorry, I can do better. I'm sorry. So after touring with this vaudeville circuit, he began to make One Reelers and became a regular in the Max Senate Keystone Cop series, which was a big series at the time. And he started a successful partnership with the actress Mabel Norman. And that's when his career really took off. He began directing and producing. He mentored both Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. And because stars were now a big thing, Arbuckle could make big demands from the studio. In 1914, he was being paid $1,000 a day and getting 25% of the profits and full artistic control, which is like some Louis C.K. kind of fucking shit. That's a lot of money. (laughs) It's a lot of money back then. But the artistic control, I think, is something most people don't get. Right. By 1918, he signed a contract that gave him a million dollars a year for three years. Wow, Some interesting things about his career, although his size was for sure part of his success, he never used it as a cheap gag, like, you know, being stuck in a doggy door or or something like that. It was always used more as the contrast to the graceful movement, although he did kind of pioneer the whole pie in the face gag thing. Oh, who doesn't love a yeah. cream pie in the face? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our fucking favorite. Mm-hmm. Fatty was sort of his on-screen <laughs> <laughs> presence, and that was like sort of his name, but he never went by it in person. <laughs> he also was sort of, had a female character that was named Miss Fatty, so. I don't early know. drag there. Yeah, early drag.
1: We posted some and pictures on our Instagram.
2: He was also um, called the, lunatic and my favorite the prince of wales spelled w-h-a-l-e-s so at this point now before we get into what i'm going to talk about next you have to understand that he was like the tom cruise level of fame like as big as you could get but with kind of like a chris farley type right. personality so he's like pretty much the biggest movie star in the world okay so on september 5th 1921 Fatty was going to take a break from his hectic schedule and he was going to go away with his friend Frank Fishbach. They were planning a little Labor Day weekend excursion party at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco. The trip was almost canceled because Fatty sat on an acid-soaked rag at the garage where his car was being serviced and he got second degree burns all over his ass.
1: I'm sorry (laughs) but if I got any kind of burn on my ass I'd be like we Cancel need all <laughs> I'm not going to sit on a donut seat all the way on the ride up to San Francisco. Right. My right. ass hurts.
2: Well, and Fred was not having it. Fred actually bought him a donut size <laughs> thing, up. like a rubber ring for him to sit on for the drive up North. They had three rooms at the St. Francis hotel, 1219, 1220 and 1221. And 1220 was kind of the party room. And then you had the rooms on the side for their personal endeavors. This was also during Prohibition, so it was full of um, illegal booze and girls. It's sort of the old school version of like a rock star hotel bashing, like right. just fucking the room up sort of party. And
1: these 1920s Prohibition era parties always sound like the most fun and the most debauched. Right?
2: Yeah. So this was sort of, you know, a fangirl party thing. No mud sharks at this one. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, but. One of the guests was 26-year-old model wannabe starlet Virginia. I'm gonna say her name is pronounced "rap" or "rape." I say "rape," but like shop-y. yeah, because I don't want to say "rape," but it is spelled R A P P E. So I'm gonna say "rape," right? That's Let's how I her would it. say. It. I mean, if I was her, I would have fucking fancied that shit up. So she had worked at some in some way with Max Senate at the time. So maybe that's sort of how she they were connected, the but I didn't see that officially. So don't hold me to that. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what is clear. At some point, Virginia Rappé fell ill and a hotel doctor was called. She stayed at the hotel a few more days, recovering before she was taken to a hospital on September 9th. And it was there that she died of peritonitis caused by a ruptured bladder. Now, there probably would have been some sort of scandal or inve- investigation regardless, but it was another woman at the party, Maude Bambina Delmont, which is like a great 1920s or whatever sort of uh, name, and she was a friend of Virginia's that took shit to the next level. She told a doctor at the hospital treating Virginia that Arbuckle had raped her friend, and then she made the same accusation to the San Francisco police, claiming that Arbuckle had been seen dragging Rape into his bedroom against her will claiming he was going to he claiming that she he she claimed that he said I've waited five years for you and now I've got you. Wow. (laughs) So it's like all very Penelope pit stop Mm -hmm. with like you know tying someone on the train tracks or whatever. Um, In an interview with a newspaper she said that she could hear Virginia. I mean I should say that obviously this is a story where the tabloiding newspaper kind of things, fucking latched onto it right away. They ran with right, it. Right, they ran with it. So she's being interviewed by a newspaper. She said she could hear Virginia screaming and kicking violently and that she had to kick down the door and Fatty opened it in his pajamas, wearing um, Virginia's hat cocked at an angle and smiling like an evil kind of foolish so smile. So to add insult
1: to injury is wearing her hat too. right?
2: And then she could see like behind him that Virginia was on the bed ravaged, screaming in agony And she said that Arbuckle said to her, shut her up or I'll throw her out the window. I mean, like she really painted Arbuckle as like a maniacal fucking lunatic. Right. Then she said that he left her there and went back to the party and just danced while Virginia lay dying. With a ruptured bladder. Right. At some point during this whole thing, there was someone who reported that she seemed, that she said, randomly he did this to me so that's sort of like famous last words right um according to arbuckle the the event went more like this virginia had a few drinks and at some point she became hysterical she complained she couldn't breathe and started tearing her clothes off um he claimed that he was never alone with her until he found her in the bathroom vomiting and that's when he carried her into the bedroom so in his version he he's, was like the
1: good guy he's a good
2: guy <laughs> <laughs> he's he's an online male feminist. Which I'm
1: sorry, but right. Both versions. Not to jump the gun, but both versions sound like pretty elaborate. Maybe it was or something
2: like, in between. I don't know. Right. But we anyway, we're gonna we're gonna explore the all the evidence. Let's explore, explore what happens next. So the aftermath of the crime. The police concluded that the 265 pound comedian, for some reason, his weight is always uh, mentioned in these. Welcome reports. To being a woman, <laughs> <Yeah. daddy. laughs> Had supposedly burst her bladder. Um, with the weight, his weight during the assaults because he was so fat, he literally punctured her uh, bladder or something, burst it. And because the injury had gone untreated, it developed into an infection that killed her. Um, one went to, one witness eventually testified that Arbuckle had rubbed ice on her stomach to ease the abdominal pain. So it's like a whole mixture of like him being this maniacal, you know, or in this really protective guy. And this guy very protective guy just
0: trying to fucking help. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P pcom com slash H-C-S. Uh, at this point, the Hearst newspapers really fucking ran with the story and went hog fucking wild. Were they
1: like the OG TMZ? Yeah, this, treating is, it this, like- is,
2: this is like um, William Randolph Hearst, the Citizen Kane guy yes. who you know, was kind of known for that yellow journalism and just running with things. And most of the, the juicy Hollywood Babylon tidbits and and story come from the Hearst version of what happened. Um, so they were very sensationalized. Right. And the reason I brought up that ice actually before was there was a rumor that was sort of based on the ice that it's, um, and this is from Virginia's manager, a guy named Al Semnaker, Semnacher, I don't know nachos who the fuck cares uh (laughs) uh, and he accused her he accused Arbuckle of using a piece of ice to simulate sex with her which led to the um injuries
1: like an ice sculpture
2: I guess like they broke off like Cupid's hand I have no idea fisted her with an
1: icy Cupid hand
2: and then, so so these are some of the Hearst paper um, they
1: published salacious these. details. They're claiming another this.
2: rumor was that he was so drunk that he couldn't get hard, and so he raped um, Virginia with a used Coke bottle. Some accounts jazz it up a bit with a champagne bottle <laughs> to just make it a little I bit. I would more. want that yeah. to be the. Rumor. I mean, yeah. And then that's sort of what caused her bladder to rupture. And the headlines already at this point are like San Francisco booze party kills young actress. And then there were pleas in the newspapers to get Roscoe. So he was already like, let's get him. Like, right. No one fucking cared at the time what the truth was. People were living for this. This They were here for it. Like everyone didn't want to know. It's like when you hear something so juicy, like the piss tape with, with Trump. I, I don't uh, even fucking care it's if it's true. true. i want decided like, that yeah. it's true. So it was sort of like the equivalent of that where you just don't even care. You want to believe it. And then at some point. I mean, this is probably like the first. Big Hollywood scandal. Oh, totally. Because there weren't any stars before this, this right. so this was this was the first big, huge Hollywood imagine scandal. Imagine
1: how I mean, just imagine being a regular citizen hearing about this. Yeah, this, like, it's like it blows pretty your crazy, fucking mind. Yeah.
2: So, and even Hearst himself said that the scandal had sold more newsp- newspapers than any event since the seeking thinking of the Lusitania, which was his last big yellow journalism uh, scandal. Um morality groups were in play here too and they were calling for Arbuckle to Arbuckle to be sentenced to death. Like damn. <laughs> that's how crazy it was. Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton were two of the few people who were standing up for him and I feel like they had the star power to kind of take that risk. Yeah. Some uh, interesting speculation on why it was so easy to go down this road with him was people were really quick to believe the worst about him because of the image that he had cultivated, that he was overweight and had like an asexual screen presence.
1: So he's this creepy loner guy. Yeah,
2: so he was kind of portrayed as this unlikely ladies' man in, right. in fan magazines, which wasn't really true. So right. because he had this reputation as like, I'm fat, but I can still get it, <laughs> I can still get it. He's this sinister guy. They had built up guy. this thing where it was very easy for, for people to be like, oh, well, that's how he gets it. He's a sexual deviant. Right. San Francisco DA at the time, Matthew Brady, really had no evidence. And he, other than the testimony of that friend, and he nonetheless charged Arbuckle with first degree murder, which was eventually reduced to manslaughter. The problem was his one-star witness, Maude Bambina Delmont, ended up being shady as fuck. Uh, She had a police record containing more than 50 counts of crimes, including bigamy, fraud, racketeering, extortion, to name a few. I mean, when you have have 50 counts. I
1: want to see the movie about this Bambina chick's life story.
2: And on top of that, as if that wasn't enough, police also found telegrams from Maude pretty much confessing to the fact that she was trying to blackmail Arbuckle, including one telegram that said, we have Roscoe Arbuckle in a hole. Here's our chance to make some money out of him. Oh, God. Uh, But Brady was ambitious as fuck. And he was hoping to make a name for himself with what was pretty much the trial of the century at that point. Wow. There is like one other chance that the case could be dropped if the judge, Sylvain Lazarus, um, decided to dismiss the case based on no evidence. But he decided to let it go through. And here's his statement, which I found pretty fucking incredible with a very minimal amount of knowledge about the Constitution. (laughs) Even I was like, wow, that seems really (laughs) fucked. So here's his statement. I do not find any evidence that Mr. Arbuckle either committed or attempted to commit rape. The court has been presented with the merest outline. The district attorney has presented barely enough facts to justify my holding the defendant on the charge, which is here filed against him. But we are not trying Roscoe Arbuckle alone. We are trying the screen celebrity who has given joy and pleasure to the entire world. We are actually gentlemen or we are not trying to try that person. We are actually gentlemen trying ourselves. We are trying our present day morals, our present day social conditions, our present day looseness of thought and lack of social balance. So
1: this I think I wanted to make an example. He's he's
2: trying the world for their like for
1: their sins. For
2: their sins, basically.
1: I feel like he's not a very good judge.
2: This seems very unconstitutional to me.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> Even more fucked up than that. Brady knew he couldn't let Maud Delmont testify because she had already changed her story like a million times and was a pathological liar. And I guess this is in the day where <laughs> Like, I think nowadays you don't even put those people on the stand, right? Or take them yeah, seriously. Yeah, they're not yeah.
1: good witnesses.
2: So he had her arrested on one of the outstanding charges of bigamy. Um, what is bigamy? When you're married to more than one person. Oh, right. Oh, like polygamy. Right, so she was she was probably marrying people for money or something like that. Yeah. Then the person, so the person who, the one person who started this whole fucking thing wasn't even trying. She spent the next several months in jail and which made Arbuckle's attorneys not able to question her. Um, So yeah, the trial, the people versus Arbuckle uh, lasted from November 14th to December 4th, 1921. And more than 60 witnesses were called to the stand, including 18 doctors. There was a lot of testimony about this woman's bladder. (laughs) Uh, Party guests, doctors, nurses, um, they were all witnesses for the prosecution, and it was all freaking horseshit hearsay city. All of their testimony pretty much crumbled under cross-examination because no one everyone was basically lying or just saying things without really knowing and well, taking I guesses. Heard. Yeah. Right. Arbuckle actually took the stand, which is pretty rare mm-hmm. I think in these kind of things. He was a great witness he calmly testified he told his story he was consistent even under cross-examination from uh, assistant da leo did Frid- he admit friedman to having sex with her or no no no, no okay. he claims he never did anything okay uh the da Le- the assistant da leo friedman was trying to make arbuckle admit that he refused to call a doctor when he found virginia sick and that he um Knew of her previous illnesses. She had some like history of having sort of reproductive some, right. health problems, and that that because Arbuckle knew that he refused to call the doctor, it was and see and saw it as the perfect opportunity to rape and kill her. Like I'll rape and kill her, and then she'll die of a no ruptured. Like know. yeah, I mean that's a very bad plan. Right. So on that's a John but he Holmes never plan. he never admitted to that because it wasn't true probably. On December 4th, after 44 hours of deliberation, the jury announced that it was hopelessly deadlocked and the judge declared a mistrial. He would have most likely been acquitted, but there was one holdout juror named Helen Hubbard who told jurors that she would vote guilty until hell freezed over, Damn, or froze over. Helen? Yeah, fuck you, Helen. She didn't look at the evidence. She didn't look at the transcripts. She had made up her mind by the time she left the courtroom. She's like, I don't like fat yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> Right. Uh, the other interesting aspect was that her husband was a lawyer who did business with the DA's office, and she afterwards claimed that she, she was surprised she made it onto the jury. So the whole thing is like a fucking mess.
1: It's a shit show.
2: So uh, there was a second trial, and that began on January 11th and lasted until February 3rd. There was more shady testimony, and then one witness from the first trial even testified that Brady had forced her to commit perjury. Arbuckle's lawyers were pretty confident that he would win or be acquitted and they didn't have him testify the second time and that was a huge mistake because the jury deadlocked 9 to 3 in favor of conviction this time. I also saw that it said 10 to 2 in one case, but it doesn't really matter. But so it went it went from like one holdout juror to all of a sudden swinging people for like, conviction. "Hey, wait a minute." The case went to trial a third time on March 13th. Um, A side note, at this time, that woman, Maude Delmont, was out of jail, and Mm -hmm. she was already touring the country, giving a one-woman show as the woman who signed the murder charge against Arbuckle... And lecturing about the evils of Hollywood. <laughs> so this bitch was getting hurt. Like, she was capitalizing She's like, I didn't get this. that blackmail money, but I'm going to make do. Which is like sort of admirable in like a shitty kind of it way. Just, like, it
1: just reminds... She reminds me of uh, Roxy Hart from Chicago.
2: Totally. Like Taking advantage was, of the situation. She took situation. advantage. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll give her credit. Her character is not that up credible. This, up until this point, to Arbuckle's credit, he 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 didn't want his lawyers to take the victim blaming route. Wow. Uh that all changed in this trial because now they were like we need to fucking end this. Right. So they left nothing to chance and they went full on victim blaming here and Arbuckle testified this time again. Um they talked about Virginia's character and it, and they went into details. She had five abortions, thing like that. She had a series of bladder inflammations, chronic uh, cystitis. And then she also had a history of actually stripping naked when she drank. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like that's that I don't that know. Weird. And that she had gonorrhea at the time of her death. Um, there was even some testimony that she had been pregnant and asked Arbuckle to pay for her abortion. I mean, I feel like, yeah, they, I don't see that as necessarily throwing her under the bus. They had, to, they had to present the evidence that she had a history of chronic illnesses in that, that area. The,
1: the medical stuff makes sense to me, but the, the sexual, the stripping while naked just seems like victim blaming. Oh,
2: I don't agree with that, actually, because that was sort of the thing that they said she was naked oh, and writhing. Right, of so I feel like they right. had to say she did this a lot. It wasn't right. her screaming, running naked from a room right. because he did something. It so, was something
1: she liked to do in the past. Right. So right. I feel
2: like it was sort of relevant. Right. I think at this point, his career was dead. The previous trials had bankrupted him. him, So he really kind of had no choice, but to maybe slightly slut shame away. There were numerous witnesses called to the stand, testifying to Virginia's slutty way. So maybe that's a little bit more inappropriate. (laughs)
1: Like, yeah, she gave a great job. And one person
2: in this, uh, one person who was a witness actually also attacked Maude Delmont in her testimony saying that she was the complaining witness that never witnessed. So very uh, 1920s. Sounds like a movie. The jury deliberated this time for less than five minutes. They returned to the court and declared him not guilty. They even released a statement, which is extremely rare at the time, saying that they were not only acquitting him, but they were actually (laughs) finding him innocent. And this is that statement we, the jury, find Roscoe Arbuckle not guilty of manslaughter. Acquittal is not enough for Roscoe Arbuckle. We feel that a great injustice has been done to him. We feel also that it was our, our only our plain duty to give him this exoneration under the evidence, for there was not the slightest proof adduced to connect him in any way with the commission of a crime. He was manly throughout the case, okay, whatever, <laughs> and told a straightforward story on the witness stand, which we all believe. The happening at the hotel was an unfortunate affair for which Arbuckle, so the evidence shows, was in no way responsible. We wish him success. Roscoe Arbuckle is entirely innocent and free from all blame. Damn. Yeah. That's a
1: hell of a statement.
2: Yeah. So that was beyond just not guilty. This was saying, right, bitch, this is fucked up. And he, but clearly, yeah.
1: clearly and, and clearly, you know what?
2: It seems like that is true. It was just a fucked up thing that happened. Right.
1: He was in the wrong place at right. the wrong time. Right.
2: Uh, so he was real, he was ruined though, still. Despite yeah. Clearly the that statement yeah. that just
1: goes to show when you get a stain on you like
2: that, it does not come out whether you I mean, he, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm definitely not going down any other road with that statement. <laughs> no, it's true. It was too fucking far gone by that point. Right. The public had made him a symbol of Hollywood excess and in their eyes, he was guilty of at the very least fucking too hard and drinking too much. Which is, like, kind of makes him very appealing to me. So, yeah. So the aftermath of this was that he pretty much had no fucking chance of making money again. And that was officially fucked even further. Six days after that, after his acquittal, something called the Hayes office had been created at that point. Um, And it was sort of a censor the censoring board for for the film industry, uh, they banned him from the screen due to his, or due to like him breaking what was sort of a newly minted thing, you know, contracts having morality clauses. Right. And the studios were now forcing them to abide by these things, which kind of let them get out of contracts if they, they acted up in any sort of way. So they were
1: really wanted to distance themselves right. from him.
2: And then the truth of the matter is, what what was really behind it was the fact that Paramount, his his uh, studio that he was had that $3 million deal mm-hmm. with, they didn't want to work with him anymore, but they didn't want anyone else to have him either. So it was like a way of- Interesting. Yeah, so it was a, that's how, that's why the Hayes office banned him from the screen. And they had like all kinds of deals with each other. It was a very corrupt system. So actually the ban was lifted eight months later But by that point, he was just blackballed completely from Hollywood. Over the next decade, he kind of did whatever he could. He did live performances. He even directed under an alias, William B. Goodrich, Will Be Good. Uh And then 10 years after the trials in 1932, Jack Warner hired him again to act in a film that ended up being a huge box office success. And then he signed Arbuckle for six more films. Which was a great thing. That's Arbuckle, a pretty lucky break. Yeah, Arbuckle had um, remarried at this point, And he went out to dinner with his wife that night to celebrate his newfound sort of comeback. He went home to bed that night and he died in his sleep at 2.30 a.m. after suffering a heart attack. Supposedly, he had said to his wife earlier that evening... This is the best day of my life, which is so sad. That's so sad. <laughs> it's really, and really sad, sweet, but sad, really sad. So that's it. I mean, basically, we all, I think, had this idea that he's this rapist and murderer. Like that is really my that impression of him from the Hollywood Babylon book, which is you know we all know now is a huge you know shit show of right disinformation. It was and an incredibly
1: and, compromised trial. And the tabloids, the newspapers, they went haywire and they were super irresponsible with the story. They were, it was hashtag fake news.
2: Absolutely. One other last sort of eerie, interesting detail is um, Chris Farley, John Belushi and John Candy were all considered to play Arbuckle in a biopic that never happened. And each one of them died before the biopic even kind of got out of development so the whole story just has this kind of tragic Yeah. Uh
1: his well, Fatty Arbuckle just the person is surrounded by so much just tragedy. It's a curse.
2: It is a and curse. then everyone who even considered playing him also met this tragedy. And Rob
1: Ford's dead
2: too. <laughs> he was never
1: he, I was, know never, he was never <laughs> up for the role, but in my heart he was up for the role.
2: He's the fatty arbuckle of politics. He really he is. He is very graceful. I mean, when he tried to hit that woman, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry. when he's dancing to bob marley
2: at oh right City yeah Hall, he's so, super yeah. graceful i mean so we gotta love him but yeah. yeah so that's an interesting thing we have lots of pics and uh clips of him up on our instagram and facebook page and all right. the good social media sites where we are and you can find us at hollywoodcrimescene.com we also have a patreon
0: if our you're interested patreon, in yeah.
2: supporting us and our uh debauched (laughs) excursions (laughs) into hollywood's dark side
1: (laughs) we provide a weekly bonus episode for you our bonus episodes are a lot filthier than our very fun scandals and urban legends and whatnot sex rumors we review sex tapes and you can find that at patreon.com slash hollywood crime
0: scene
2: so thank you so much for listening and we'll see you you next next week Bye. bye